Coco sells out an ATP event. The top Brit wins in the Big Apple. St. Petersburg means a lot, but only in Dubai. And does the Monfils win make his prediction legit? Find out this and more on the Tennis Revolution. From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. I hope the suspense was killing you on trying to figure out who was not here today. Well, it is Coach. I am here. Corey is not. So when you hear that medley, you know what's going on. You know I'm all alone. But we're going to try to get through it. It's always awful. I know. Don't delete this podcast yet. Give it a whirl. I'm getting better at it, I think. I think. So Corey's out. And uh, I'll tell you, that medley starts out with like boohoo I'm alone but then it ends up with oh, I'm good I'm just drinking alone no problem I'm good uh that's not the way I meant it to sound when I put it together but it was like two in the morning and I was trying to figure out how to edit sound which I'm not great at so there you have it so what a week we are uh in the what would be what would be in the middle of the drive for five right now if everybody listened to me, to us, this podcast, right now we wouldn't be in the doldrums of rando tournaments in various places all over the, all over the globe on various surfaces, but uh, instead we'd be, which wouldn't be actually the fifth slam right now, it would actually be the second slam, but it would be a fifth slam. We'd be in the South American slam series as we speak but instead we're in Rotterdam we're way out somewhere on somewhere on Long Island 
where the Islanders don't even play in that uh, Coliseum anymore. St. Petersburg, not Florida. And but maybe the highlight of the whole thing, Delray Beach, but we'll get to that um in a bit. But yeah, so right now, if you didn't if you didn't listen to I don't know if this was the last episode, the episode before. Uh I can't remember exactly, but go back. Eh, listen to them. Start with one. Start with episode one. Go back until you get to the one that is about the SAS SAS or SASS SAS, the South American Slam or the South American Slam series. Uh, we we want to go down to Rio and put another clay event, uh, another clay major in the schedule. So if you didn't hear that, if you did hear that, sorry, I'm boring you, but it's such an awesome idea. It's not the first time anybody's ever thought of this idea. I get it. But what we're going to try to do is actually make it happen. Um, so that's that's really what it's about. So uh, so if you didn't hear, this is a summary. We got everything. Who knew a band from Scotland would be, or Ireland or somewhere, would be singing a song about the Drive for Five, our theme. Uh, So whenever you find that episode, listen to it, love it, share it, of course. But then if you happen to be on a personal level with Shakira, could you get that to her? Because I want Shakira to be the face of the Drive for Five. She's South American. Obviously, she's hugely popular in South America, but now the Super Bowl halftime proved she's also hugely popular here. Or if she her population pop, popularity faded, it's right back up after that. So get that to her somehow. Bombard her with links to that episode. Again, whichever episode that was, I don't remember. Oh, but who cares about South America right now? Although they're headed down there uh, as we speak, they're they're going down there and starting the Rio Open, which uh, sounds like a fake tournament. It sounds like a video game name, like the New York Open. Also, you know the old tennis video games back like on Sega Saturn in the olden oldie times. They w- they wouldn't have permission to use trademark stuff like U.S. Open or French Open or Roland Garros or Wimbledon. So they would have to have names like New York Open or the Big Apple Open. And that's what the Rio Open sounds like to me. So anyway, they're down in Rio now. But let's not talk about next week. Let's talk about this week that just finished. So one of the biggest stories that – no, it's not a big story. Let me, let me back up. It's not a big story. People are making a big deal about it. And that's that Coco Golf, not Vandaway, sells out an ATP event. 
Now, if you didn't hear about this, to be clear, she didn't sell out an ATP event as she's playing in the event. She is from Delray Beach, or at least the area. I don't know where she's from, but she's from near there. And she played an exhibition at the ATP event in Delray. So it's not exactly selling out the event, her being in the event. But to be fair, she obviously is a draw. Uh, Now, it's her hometown. She gets a ton of hype. At every Grand Slam, she's been getting a fair amount of hype. It's kind of gone down a bit, but uh, since the very first Slam she played in. But still, it's it's still a big story. And ultimately, if it brings eyeballs to tennis, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, But I don't think it proves anything. In regards to popularity of men's or women's tennis or or whatever. It was an exhibition event in an area where she's from. And so, um, so whatever. I mean, it's still great. It's still great. I mean, you look at the stands for her match and they were jam-packed. And then you look at the stands for the the rest of the event. Not so much. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll look at the total number when everything comes out and see and see what it means. Uh, but like I said, I mean, on the one hand, is it good that she is drawing that kind of, you know, uh, interest? Sure. For our game, of course. For her, of course. But it's, it's a sideshow. It was an exhibition, which, as you know, this podcast, we're not hugely fond of exhibitions. See Labor Cup episode. Now, when she is playing full-time on tour, her availability will increase. And so the demand may not be there as much. And again, we'll see. I'm not trying to downplay her or, or uh, talk bad about what she's doing. I'm just trying to uh, have the conversation from all angles uh, so everybody can just relax because I think everybody's overblowing the importance of the fact she sold out at an ATP 250. I mean, who cares about ATP 250s anyway? I don't know. So anyway, so that's Delray Beach. Nobody will think about Delray Beach again um, unless they go over there for spring break. And so the upside is it brought some eyeballs to that tournament. Hopefully it can it can play off the wave of that and pick up some momentum and, and have increased uh, attendance. That would be good for the sport. So we were in New York, the Big Apple, not the Big Apple Open, but the New York Open, or as I like to call it, the Sin City Open, not because of Las Vegas, but because of that awful mid-2000, I think it was like 05, 06 or something like that, that movie Sin City with like Clive Owen and I think Bruce Willis was in it and some other people, but it was like a black and white movie, but had pieces of color in it. Like when the car drove away and splashed water in a puddle or something, it like, I don't know. It was ridiculous, but that's what, that's what the court at the New York open reminds me of. It's, it looks like you're watching a black and white TV, except some of the 
shirts and the tennis balls and the shoes and the lines. Not even the lines. They're white. But yeah, so I, I think it looks odd. They, they tout themselves as the home of the black and white court. But I'm like, eh, I don't think that's a selling point. If you look at it on TV, and then you, if you had two TVs next to each other and you could watch the vibrant blues of like the Australian Open series, and then you watch the New York Open, it's all black and white and looks goofy. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't imagine people. They might like it because it's different, but I don't think they'd want the entire tour to switch over to black and white courts. That's the proof. Proof is in the pudding. So that's it right there. If if you love it, then let's switch every tournament to black and white. Or just go to a pawn shop and buy, buy an old black and white TV and try to watch tennis on that. It's awful. So now the story about the New York Open is not the awful courts. The story about the, the New York Open is that the top Brit, who is not Andy Murray, which... The commentators made a big deal about that, but I mean, he's been on the shelf for years now, so it's not a big deal. Somebody passed him. It doesn't mean, I think, I think people are getting a little excited that, oh, Kyle Edmund is now the, the, the number one player from the UK on the men's side, obviously. I don't know why I said that. And so therefore he must be ready to compete the way Andy did for slams or he will soon or whatever they're saying. I don't know, but I think that I, th- I think the, the notion of him being the number one Brit meaning anything should cease immediately. It means nothing. I mean, good for him. Good for him. And can he get to that level? Can he be top 10? Can he win grand slams? Before the big three retire? No. After the big three retire? Maybe. Maybe. But uh, but the New York Open win, I don't think in and of itself, sort of uh, pre is a preview for a lot. But I will say, anytime a player wins a tournament, that adds quite a lot of confidence to regardless of what the draw looked like. I don't even care. I haven't looked at his aggregate UTR that he played or whatever. I don't know what aggregate means, but the level of people he played and their UTRs. So I'm not sure how that plays out. But still, a tournament win is still going to give you confidence. But, I mean, as we saw with Serena, she won a tournament right before the Aussie Open. She didn't win the Aussie Open. Um, it cert- so the level certainly does uh, sort of help. Um, although he's a young and up-and-comer, so winning 250s, he, I mean, obviously Serena's won more tournaments than there are, I think. And Kyle Edmund has not. So it, certainly I will look at it as a big step. And he's got some pieces. I mean, he's got power. He's got a big forehand. And, uh, and his backhand has got some pop too, and he can move it around. He, he likes a little inside out backhand from time to time. He can change directions on his backhand. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think some pieces are there. And one of the things I've always said about all these players is upstairs, 
from the neck up, do they have enough? Most players, besides the big three and the big four, obviously the big three, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, you know that. Big four, if you haven't heard or don't remember, the big four is a conglomeration. Also, don't know if that word is the right word. Don't even really know what it means, but you get what it means. A conglomeration of all the players that are the fourth best player that have won slams in this big three. Delpo, Chilich, Warinka, and Murray is kind of the king of the big four, or was. So those are the players that sort of make up the big four, and then it's everyone else. So everyone else, including next gen, next, next gen, and I guess like next, next, next gen, I don't know. I don't know what a baby gen, I don't know. But all of those players below the big four, they just have not demonstrated that they have it from the neck up. His Kyle Edmonds' game will continue to develop. He may make a jump physically, you know, as he figures out, wait a minute, there's, you know, a piece here missing for this, a piece here missing for that, and one one of those pieces may be uh, physical. Certainly these guys all have access and the women, of course, have access to everything they would need in terms of training. However, they still have to allocate time, resources, and effort in those areas. And so I don't know, I don't have any inside no info on what he's doing, but certainly that's an area that's completely in his control uh, that he could maybe up a notch or two. Um, and so... All those things will come as he sort of sees, oh, okay, I'm, I'm moving up to this level or this level and then this level. What else can I do? What other little piece can I add? Because the little pieces matter. Small changes, small improvements have a big impact. And a series of those small improvements is going to help you in your confidence and your belief, which is what it's all about, that you can compete with Anybody, including the big three. It's a big ask. That's a, uh, that's a big ask uh, for anybody out there these days. So that's the uh, New York Open and Kyle Edmund. Uh, it's fun to see um, guys get their uh, – I think that's his second win, but still it's still so few and far between tournament wins. Um, and I hope it does help his confidence. Everybody that can push the big three, I want to push the big three. Everybody. Oh, the women. The women. I don't want to leave the women out. So the women are uh, in St. Petersburg, not Florida. And uh, out there in the hinterlands of uh, Russia, or wherever St. Petersburg is. And... That tournament in and of itself, not a huge deal to me. Again, we're sort of in the lost the lost period between slams here in this empty spot between the Australian Open and the French Open series. But still, you know, matches can come up uh, that matter or that are interesting. But St. Petersburg is important for another reason, an indirect reason, if you will. So St. Petersburg, the finals consist of Ribikina 
and Kiki Burton's. And so since Kiki Burton's is playing so deep, she had to pull out of Dubai. And so what did that cause to happen? What did that domino effect cause to happen? Well, she was the sixth seed, and she comes out of the sixth spot. And the sixth spot was Garbina Muguruza. That's who, who Burton's was going to play. Well, how very nice. Kim Kleisters, the wild card, and makes her, her return, her, her return debut. I don't know if that's right. That sounds contradictory, but you know what I mean. Makes her return to pro tennis and has to play a resurgent Garbina Muguruza. What is this? 2011? I don't know. So it's exciting on the one hand for Kleisters, just it's for us, but I don't, I, I don't like that she's coming out of the game. She's a wild card. Listen, she's got to do what she's got to do. She's got to play who she plays, treat her as a wild card because that's what she is. But I just think it's tough and not as fun um, going up against Garbina. Uh, just, I'd like to see her against a way lower ranked player, let her work her way in because if she gets beat right away, there's going to be a lot of wind out of her sails, particularly if she doesn't play well. Uh, which I that's what I am afraid of. Um, it's talk about confidence that like Kyle Edmund will get from winning a tournament. How about the lack of confidence Kim Kleisters will have if she loses in uh, not so great fashion in her debut? I don't want that for her for sure. I'd love to see her back in the game. And I, again, is she going to compete? You know, I think we talked about this several episodes back. Is she going to compete for Grand Slams? Not just soon, ever again. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. You just don't know. There's way too, there are way too many variables uh, to, to look at that and, and, and have a definitive answer. You can, you can say it, that she's right in the mix. And you, and you can say it, and most likely you're going to say that because of your heart. And rightfully so. I think Kim Kleisters was good for the game, and I think she is good for the game. Her being back in there, I think it'll be great. Uh, as, as an event, I don't know if her performance will be great. I don't know if her results will be great. I don't know if the overall return to the game for her will be great. Uh, I hope it is, but thank you, Burtons, for getting deep enough in St. Petersburg to pull out of Dubai, which apparently she's taking advantage of, the, of a new rule they have. It's an excused absence, um, basically. Uh, so an excused withdrawal if you make it, I guess, to the final of the preceding event, uh, and particularly because it's far, I guess. Um, so good for her for not having to suffer any consequences for pulling out or having to play and fly and have an awful performance. So there you have it. So that will certainly make Dubai a must watch TV, must watch tournament. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a good prize money tournament. Halep's the one, uh, Pliskova's the two. So, um, so that's so it's a good it's a good solid draw overall uh, level wise. 
the next tournament that was going on that only was made interesting by the convergence, there's a word, I know what that means, and I think it's right, the convergence of the winner of the tournament and the prediction of said winner about his future. You probably heard about this, but Gael Monfils, fan favorite. I don't know, locker room favorite. I'm probably, I'm sure. Alina Svitolina favorite. So he wins Rotterdam over FAA. Felix Auger Aliasim. And he beats him in pretty solid fashion. He, he should have been two and two, uh, but. Both he and Aliasim had a bit to say about it being two and two. Um, kind of a mix of not great play from Mavis, some good stuff from a- FAA uh, to get one of the breaks back, and then he held, but then ultimately he couldn't couldn't hang on uh, for that final uh, service game from Monfils, and he won. But Monfils seems to think. He can crack the top 10 still and that he can win a Grand Slam tournament. Now, it's funny. I don't know if he ever said this before, but a lot of people did in the past. And now he's saying it, and I don't know that anybody is saying it currently. I don't know if anybody was saying that independent of this whole prediction or uh, or how they feel about it now. But I'll tell you how I feel about it. I love it. I love it. I don't know if he can do it, but I love it, and I'll tell you why. And this, I'm going to go sideways on this explanation, but hopefully stay with me and you'll, 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 you'll dig it. So I am a huge... Steelers fan. So if you're not from the U.S., that's what we call football. And football is called soccer. You get it. And the Steelers are my my squad. Have been forever. I have family ties. Not the TV show from the 80s, but I have family ties from, uh, from Pittsburgh. And so I come by my fandom of the Steelers, honestly. And I'm a live and die. Not so much in the last four or five years, and not because they've won a Super Bowl and been competitive recently, so it's not because of that. It's just I just for whatever reason I haven't. But I, I, I was, and some, to some degree still, I'm a live-and-die fan, throwing stuff at the TV, you know, ruining my day if they lose, my week. I'm, I'm surrounded by Cowboy fans at work and in this town. I, I'm in Dallas. And so, certainly, if we lose, we're not doing well. It's that much worse because of all these losers, these Cowboy fans. And so, I really have have been attached to the Steelers. Same thing with the, the Penguins. That's the NHL, the hockey team for Pittsburgh. And as of late, Newcastle. Yeah, there you go. I'm worldly. Although tennis is worldly anyway, so scratch that. 
I uh, follow the English Premier League soccer, foot, football, whatever. And I am a Newcastle fan. And let me tell you why I'm a Newcastle fan, not just because of Newcastle Brown Ale. I'm a Newcastle fan because of genealogy. Yeah, you heard me. I actually have some serious ties going back to like literally BC to the area it did Newcastle didn't exist, but the geographic region where Newcastle is now, I have not me, I didn't do this work, but um somebody in my family did the genealogy, so my family tree and it goes back to Newcastle. And I found that out recently and so I was like, hey, I'll follow them then. And they're not a front runner, so I didn't do it because of that. They're lower middle of the pack. And they got smacked down today. Um, now, that's a newer fandom for me. But I've got a pretty serious, I say serious tie. I've never been. I don't know a single family member from over there, so let's not get ridiculous. I know those Ancestry.com commercials get a little ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm not buying a kilt or whatever people in Newcastle. I don't know what they do. I'm not doing that. So I get it. But anyway, so I'm a Newcastle fan. And I am affected. Childish as it may be, I get it. Boys are idiots. I get it. But I am affected by when they lose as well. So you have three teams that I follow pretty seriously. And... It affects me when they lose. And don't judge me on that. That's a whole separate podcast. You can call in about that later. But the point being, why I'm telling you all that is to tell you, does anyone have that feeling about any teams? I would think you might. Now, do you have that same mentality about any ATP or WTA players? And not just getting in Twitter arguments with the Serena Army or, you know, Fed versus Nadal fans and nobody likes Djokovic. I get that. So, but do you legitimately suffer when said player loses? So... The second part of that question is, do you suffer if they lose at a tournament like Rotterdam? Or is it just majors or major finals? And the benefit for fans of the big three on the men's side, certainly, and Serena not in the last couple years, but before, is that you have had a ton of opportunities to see them in the finals and sort of see how you're affected. But beyond that, everybody else, they lose quite a bit. And so I think it'd be a tough road. It'd be like being a tennis fan of an individual player is almost like being a Cleveland fan. Nobody wins enough to be like a Patriots. Ugh, I hated saying that. Why did I say that? Ugh deleting this whole podcast. But my point being is, if you're a fan of an individual player and it's not the big three, man, you must walk around miserable a lot. But my point is, is I, I do not 
have that same sensibility about individual players that I do about my my three teams. Now, and as embarrassing as it is a little bit to be so live and die with the Steelers, the Penguins, Newcastle, I think it'd be a little odd, maybe even a tinge creepy, if I was that live and die with an individual player. I could be wrong, and I'm not judging because I do that with teams, so I get it. But I'm just curious if anybody is. I don't. Now, how does that have anything to do with Monfils in Rotterdam? Because for all of the tournaments except the Grand Slam tournaments, I don't think the big three care all that much. And for the, the entirety of the Grand Slams, I don't think anybody else but the big three care. Not care. That's the wrong word. I don't think they believe they can do it. This is on the men's side. On the women's side, who knows? It's wide open all the time, and everybody believes and doesn't believe all the different times. You can at me about women being a more emotional if you want. I don't care. It's a fact. Except for Zverev. So, those two things, the Grand Slams, only the big three care during our, the big three only care about those to any large degree. And the rest of the field doesn't even believe in the big three, except now maybe team he's getting there in the big four. But between them, we don't have a healthy player. I don't think. So with those things being said, now we have Monfils, not a big three, but also not a next, next, next gen. Any of those groups. He's in that Fetter Nadal. He's in that age range. A little bit younger, I guess. I don't know. Supremely talented. We certainly believe, we did anyway, that he could be a multiple, he had the talent, as it were, to be a multiple Grand Slam winner, but hasn't. But now it seems as though he is more serious more dedicated. I heard the announcer mention he's playing more disciplined now. And he must care because he has put this out there on himself. Top 10 Grand Slam champion. Top 10 Grand Slam champion. That makes me want to root for him because you've got a player that's going to care, theoretically, care every time they step on the court. And if he's putting the effort in, that he may believe during a grand, during the, every Grand Slam tournament. Maybe not the French. It's Nadal. What are you going to do? I'll give him a pass on that one. And it's his home slam. It's real as Barty. That's tough. So I now have an individual player that I'm going to live and die with for the remainder of the season. I have a player that I'm now going to follow. I'm going to watch his rankings, watch his points. I'm going to keep track of, I mean, I can't do this normally because there's 750 players. And then on the women, there's 750 players. So it's hard to do that for everyone. But now we have an individual who has said, hey, I'm not one of these chump next-gen or below. 
I get it. I'm not a big three, but I'm going to be. Or I'm going to be a big four. That's what he's saying. He wants to join the big four. So that's, I am now on Monfils' watch. I want to watch him work and try to achieve becoming a big four. Big four is everybody outside the big three that's won a slam in the past. You know, not counting Roddick. He's retired. Can Monfils do it? I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to live and die. with. I'm going to yell at the TV when he makes dumb choices on shot selection because he's French. That's what they do. They're very creative and very artistic. And on the tennis court and competition, sometimes that's not the, that's not the best play, place for it, Monfils. Gael. Bake a croissant if you want to be creative. But be disciplined when it comes to the court. Keep going. Keep doing that. So I'll be following Monfils. Who's with me? Let's hope he can get to, to achieve top 10. I think will be certainly easier because there's only three of the big three in the top 10. Um, so I think there's certainly room. And results, I mean, Medvedev, I mean, just, results are spotty at best with everyone else. So that's it. That's, I, I think I've found my rooting interest. I found a player I can follow passionately. Plus, I'm going to Paris this summer. I speak, I'm learning to speak French <laughs> a little. And so, and, uh, there you go. And so, that's another small connection. You got to find a connection. I don't have a connection to any of these players. So you got to find a connection. And so Monfils is my guy. Monfils is my guy. Svitolina, don't you break his heart right in the middle of this and ruin it all. All right. So what do you think? I want to hear you on Twitter. Uh, by the way, I technically didn't break my Instagram promise. Technically. I said I would never send out a picture, and I did not. I put together like a little clip thing, I don't know what they're called, of a bunch of different clips of last week's show, or no, yeah, something, and then I sent it out before the show, I don't know, I don't know how any of it works, it's all a mystery, I barely got the thing, because you have to convert a thing to a a thing, and, and over at a website, and then put it on a thing, it's a whole thing, uh, and I don't have a clue how I did it. And every time I do it, it's like I'm starting from scratch. So it may never happen again, but I did send it out on Instagram and thank you for those that re Instagrammed. I don't know what you call that, but the retweeting of Instagram. Thank you for those who did that. I promise you, I got no technological help from anybody. You might be able to tell I get it, but I did it all by myself. And if I do it again, I'm starting over from scratch, uh, which is a hassle. Uh, But maybe after like third or fourth or fifth or tenth or 27th time, I'll kind of be able to do it. Uh, But anyway, if you get those clips on Instagram, they're technically not pictures. So I stuck to my guns and we're still not sending pictures out on Instagram. But by all means, share it on Insta if you can somehow get my Instagram post and kick it over to Facebook and kick it over to Twitter and Snapchat, whatever else you use, kick it over to something. I don't know how to do it, but you can. Uh, By all means, please do that. Let's continue to grow this podcast. And until next time, thanks for joining the revolution. Go Monfils.